0: This morning, I want, to, uh, I want to talk to you for a few minutes on the uh, idea of strategic prayers for a new generation. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Psalm 72, but we're also going to flip a little bit to 1 Chronicles 29. And if you're here this morning... You may be in a, in a couple of different categories. You may say, well, I don't have kids, I'm too young to have kids, or I'm not married and I don't have kids or never plan to have kids, or you may say, I'm too old to have kids and anywhere in between that. But here, here is one thing that I know about you and about me. You, you either fall in one of these categories for sure. Uh, you either have children, you will have children, you have grandchildren, or at the very least, you know someone who has children. And if you fall into any of those categories, then today is definitely applicable for you, okay? Um, I want to uh, dig into uh, the scripture a little bit, but before we do that, let me give you a little bit of a backdrop before before we jump in. David, at this point in his life, he's pushing the age of 70. The Bible says that David lived a long life. The Bible says that he was an old man at the age of 70 when he died. Now, Uh, That's that's probably insulting to, to some of us here today, but let me just say this, even today, many of us would never look at a person who's 70 and consider them old, but you've got to consider David's life and how he lived his life to get him to the place where his physical body was wearing out at the age of 70. David has started out as a shepherd boy. We all know he grows to national fame when he defeats the giant of the Philistines. He goes back into shepherding, but over time, David becomes a rugged warrior. Through the process of events, uh, King Saul has a falling out with David. David goes off into uh, the wilderness. He becomes a rebel in the eyes of King Saul. But after Saul dies, David then assumes the throne. It wasn't all easy once David assumes the throne. He, uh, we all know the stories where David commits adultery, he commits murder, uh, he has his own share of warfare that he goes through with people. But as David approaches the latter part of his days, his son Solomon is about to assume the throne. And David has done everything in his power. To make sure that Solomon is ready for, he is set up for physical success. David has put uh, councils together and committees together. He has financially uh, set things in order. He has prepared all of the stylings for the temple that Solomon is going to build. David has done for his son Solomon, for his successor, what was never done for David. David. David did not have a king who was his father that would set him up for success. David had a king who was his enemy. And so as David approaches his last days, he looks to his son, which will succeed him as king. And he wants to make sure that Solomon has everything that David did not have. And so as David sets Solomon up for success in the physical realm, it's incredibly important that we not miss the fact that although Solomon had everything working for him in the physical, that David did not neglect to pray for his son. I want to read with you in Psalm 72 here. If you have your notes or on the screen, you can follow along. This is David's prayer for the soon-coming king. He says, Give your love of justice to the king, O God, and righteousness to the king's son. Help him judge your people in the right way. Let the poor always be treated fairly. May the mountains yield prosperity for all, and may the hills be fruitful. Help him to defend the poor, to rescue the children of the needy, to crush the oppressors. May, the fear, may they fear you as long as the sun shines and as long as the moon remains in the sky. Yes, forever. May the king's rule be refreshing like the spring rain on freshly cut grass, like the showers that water the earth. May all the godly flourish during his reign. May there be abundant prosperity until the moon is no more. May he reign from sea to sea and from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. Desert nomads will bow before him. His enemies will fall before him in the dust. The western kings of Tarshish and other distant lands will bring him tribute. The eastern kings of Sheba and Seba will bring him gifts. All kings will bow before him and all nations will serve him. He will rescue the poor when they cry to him. He will help the oppressed who will have no one to defend them. He will redeem them from oppression and violence, for their lives are precious to him. Long live the king. May the gold of Sheba be given to him. May the people always pray for him and bless him all the day long. May there be abundant grain throughout the land. Flourishing even on the hilltops. May the fruit trees flourish like the trees of Lebanon. May it continue as long as the sun shines. May all the nations be blessed through him and bring him praise. Praise the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does such wonderful things. Praise his glorious name forever. Let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. You can see in this moment where David is praying for a king. He is praying for the prosperity of the king. He's praying for the heart of the king. He's praying for a rightly just king. But here just a few days later we pick up a prayer that David is is recorded from David in 1st Chronicles 29 because David realizes that he's not just praying for a new king, but he's also praying for his son, his own child. And David says this, "O oh Lord, give my son Solomon The wholehearted desire to obey all your commands, laws, and decrees, and to do everything necessary to build this temple for which I have made these preparations. David has set Solomon up for success in the physical, which is important. But David did not miss the fact that everything David had acquired in the physical had come from the hands of the Lord. And David wanted the same prosperity for his king, but he wanted for his son to have the same heart, a man after God's own heart. Father, this morning, as we open your word, I want to pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to rest on us. I know today, Lord, that uh, there are so many unique situations from Parents and grandparents and and children, family dynamics, everything in between. Father, we remember that your Holy Spirit is also called our teacher, and we believe in this moment, even words that I have no capacity to to utter or to understand or to speak into the lives of your people. Your Holy Spirit does, and so I pray that you would do that today. Father, we want to lift up to you, Pastor Darren, as he prepares for his final procedure on his brain this coming Friday. And we as a church family want to surround he and Mandy and Braden and Kaelin with our prayers and ask that the spirit of the Lord would guard them and cover them, that you would give them success in this procedure, that he would feel like a new man come Saturday morning. So God, please bless this great family and watch them through all this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen. Last summer, my family and I were, um, it, it was a beautiful summer day. We, we really didn't have anything planned. And my wife and I, we decided that we were going to just take our kids. And we were, you know, from the time we got up in the morning until the time we went to bed, we were just going to make it a, a fun activity family day. And um, we, we decided, I think we, we ended up going to the pool. We picked strawberries. We went on walks. We, we had lunch together. We had dinner together. We, we did everything in between. Now, I remember early on in the day, I had talked to my little ones. And I told them, I said, listen, we're going to have a family day. It's going to be an incredible day. It's going to be so much fun. And I'm going to tell you this. If you guys will be good, if you won't fuss and if you won't fight with each other, all this kind of stuff that kids normally do, I promise you that at the end of the day, daddy's going to take you and we're going to get you some ice cream. Okay, but you got to be good. You know how we do that. We kind of dangle the carrot. you got to be good if you want the ice cream. And lo and behold, what did they do? They were the best kids the, in the world. They were incredible. They had such a good day. And it was such a long day. You know, when you make promises to your kids sometimes, by the time you've got to fulfill that promise, it's almost like, I don't feel like it, you know? And, but they're not going to forget. They're never going to forget. And so uh, dinner comes and goes. And, you know, the whole day they're saying, ice cream, ice cream, ice cream. And so finally I said, I said okay, I, I made a commitment. I need to honor them. They've been incredible today, so... I loaded the little ones up and um, we went, I think we went to like Pelicans for snow cones or something like that, but um, they ended up being closed or something like that. So what we ended up doing was we ended up at a grocery store and I told him, I took him down the, the ice cream aisle and I said, look, you guys can get whatever you want. Just make sure it's a small, it's a small pint. Okay. Not the, not the five gallon tub because that's exactly where they went first. I said, "You guys can get whatever you want. You've been so good. You get one. You get one. You get one. You know, everybody gets their own individually. Get whatever kind you want. You know." And so they go and they're so excited, and you know, they pick seventy-four different ones, put them back, and then they finally go to the first one that they picked. And so they get the ice cream, and we go and we check out, and everything, and everything was just grand. It was an incredible. It was a great exclamation point on a phenomenal summer day. So the next morning, I am in the living room and I'm reading and. I hear my wife, Joy, from the kitchen. She says, babe, whose ice cream is this? And I said, I, said, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure it's the ice cream that the girls got last night. And she said, what did you let them buy? And I said, well, I don't know. I said, I mean, I assume there was, there was one container that, that was brown, so I'm assuming it was chocolate ice cream in it, and the other container was pink, so I assume it was like strawberry or something like that. My wife comes around the corner with the pink container, and she says, do you know what this is? And I said, yeah, that's the pink container. I assume it's like, you know, strawberry or whatever. I said, there, uh, it, it says rose on it. And my wife says, you realize that there's not a flavor called rose, right? And I I said, okay, she said, but there is a flavor called rosé, okay? (laughs) By your response, we know who the Christians are here today, okay? (laughs) No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. If you don't know, if you don't know, rosé is a very popular type of wine, okay? Okay? and i saw the container and i was like oh what did i just do you know and then i started thinking about it, i was like yeah she was kind of walking like this you know <laughs> last night before bed i'm i'm kidding i'm kidding but i was i was so freaked out i got on i got on the google and i was like and i did you realize that they make alcoholic ice cream in almost, every, in almost every type. They have vodka ice cream. They have bourbon ice cream. They have margarita ice cream. And they have rose ice cream. <laughs> I had no idea. My wife was so kind. I'm still alive, yeah. And I'm kidding about the stumbling, you know. I told my wife, the I said, they, they slept really well last night. I don't know what's going on. But I'm kidding. When, when we actually opened the container and looked, there was one bite taken out of it. And so what I assume happened is that they took a bite, didn't like the flavor, but there was nothing left of the chocolate. So I'm assuming they just kind of put this aside and devoured the chocolate. So I was, I was super thankful for that. As I started thinking about it, though, I thought, and please don't call, like, you know, the law or anything like that. Um... As I started thinking about it, I thought to myself, and I thought, you know what, as as a parent, as a parent, as a grandparent, as as spiritual leaders, our children are given to us, and we are their stewards. We are are accountable for how we steward them, how we parent them, how we lead them. We are accountable for that action. And when I thought about this situation, I thought, you know, if we are not hyper-vigilant If we are not watchful, and if we don't guide our children in the right ways, throughout this life, our kids are going to pick up some things that we have no intention of them picking up. And I'm not just talking about ice cream, okay? I'm telling you that if we are not careful as parents and don't guide and pray and and guide them in the ways that they should go, they're going to pick up things like a secular worldview, They're going to pick up perversions from this world. They're going to pick up relationships that we don't want them to have. I'm going to tell you, I find myself, I catch myself, I'm only 40 right now, but I catch myself saying phrases like this. Well, when I was growing up, da-da-da-da-da. But you know what? I've I've had an awakening and a revelation that my children have no distant memory of what it was like when I was growing up. They did not grow up in the world that I grew up in. They definitely didn't grow up in the, in the world that some of our grandparents grew up in. They didn't grow up in the greatest generation. They are growing up in a world that is far beyond anything that we have prepared for or can imagine. The past 20 years in Western culture has shifted drastically. It has shifted drastically. Our culture today is a culture that overtly disregards Scripture as a sacred text from God Almighty. When I was growing up, I went, I, I went to places and the culture didn't necessarily teach the Bible, but they didn't teach against the Bible. That's not the case anymore. People definitely aren't teaching the Bible, but now we're in a culture that is teaching against Scripture. They're teaching against Scripture. Biblical values, family values, we've even got churches and Christian influencers who are going off cue and they're interpreting scripture in a way that it was never meant to interpret. It's a totally different culture than what you and I have grown up in. Our culture no longer demands evidence before making decisions. It is, the the preference here is feelings over facts. Facts. The preference is no longer that there is a moral line that we are to hold. Now we live in a society that is purely relative. It all depends on how an individual feels about a particular situation. We, we see all these graduates, and by the way, this is, this is total coincidence that, that we're talking about prayers for a new generation and the graduate Sunday and all this. But let me just say that we're living in a culture that is not friendly towards young Christians. We celebrate these graduates as they go off, and I do believe, I do believe that there are some churches and some, uh, uh, some spiritual communities that do not fit all the statistical data. I believe that, but let me tell you what, in the United States of America, for the last 10 years, year after year after year, the statistics have held steady. That 50 to 70% of high school graduates, when they go off to university, they leave the church and they never return. It's not, it's not because their hearts aren't there, it's not because their hearts aren't right. And listen to me say this I, I see most of these graduates and I don't believe that for any of them. But I think there's a difference in what we're seeing here in some of these students and what we're seeing across the nation. They're going into hostile environments that are vehemently attacking their Christian values. And because some don't know why they believe the things that they believe, they begin a process of deconstruction. We live in a society that elevates and celebrates sexual debauchery. This last week, let me let me say, and I'm not being, please hear my heart in this, I'm not being crude in any stretch of the imagination when I say what I'm about to say, okay? Um, but I think it's important we understand the reality in which we sit right now. Two days ago, I watched a video, a cartoon video, a three-minute video that is promoted at a school in New York City, a prominent school in New York City. And the three-minute video was geared towards first graders and its whole focus, its sole focus was teaching them about masturbation. I know it's easy to say, well, yeah, that's in New York City, people are crazy in New York City. I was in the town of Lexington, South Carolina when I saw the video. Our world is no longer localized. It, 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 it's globalized. Anything that happens over there can easily be received over here. And we're living in a culture that, that celebrates these things, that is, that is really alive and operating oftentimes in a spirit of antichrist. We all know that there are times in our culture where we see people calling Good, evil, and evil, good. And listen to me. I know you're saying, "Man, this." I hope you didn't come for encouragement today. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Because here's the thing. I know. I know. When you hear something like that, you say, "Man, Corey, you make this sound like super bleak, right? Like the future is super bleak." Well, let me let me just remind us that we knew that that this was going to happen, right? We know. Like if you've read Peter, Paul. James, you know that prophetically speaking, these prophecies about the implosion of society must take place. These prophecies must take place so this prophecy can take place, which is the soon return of our coming king, right? And as Pastor says, when he does return, he will set all things right. So these things have to happen in order for this to happen. And and listen to me, just as a reminder, We've won the war. Jesus has won the war for us. We're not worried about ultimately how things will fall into place. We're not worried about that. The war is won, but we're in a battle right now. And we're in the battle not only for the soul of our nation, but for the soul of our children. And I think it's important for us to understand that we've got to make some decisions in how we approach the coming days, especially in regards to our children, our grandchildren, and and those of us who were spiritual leaders of children. Now, we've got got some options, okay? Number one, we can fold to the darkness of our culture. We can just fold. And we can become a spiritual family that just, you know, whatever culture says, we're gonna hop on the bandwagon, we're gonna go with it, okay? By the way, that will never happen in this church. Okay, number two. We can continue to tell the darkness how dark it really is, which has never been effective. Number three, which is honestly the most appealing, if I'm being just dead honest, we can stick our heads in the sand and just hope that everything turns out okay. Or number four, we can shift our approach. We can shift our approach and not let a new generation of Christians fall victim to the evils of a broken system, of a broken culture. We can shift our focus and to begin to teach our children in the same ways that David would teach Solomon. We could begin to pray for our children in the same way that David would begin to pray for Solomon. And instead of our children just becoming a part of the darkness and just being absorbed into it, maybe we should pray for the fire of the spirit to fill their souls, so that when they walk into the dark culture, that they're not overwhelmed by it, but they illuminate it. Maybe we should pray for moments, like the disciples on the road to Emmaus, where well, they said we were walking and our hearts burned within us. Maybe this is the approach that we need to take if we don't want to see these trends continue. And that's the approach I want to propose to you today. Uh, this past week, I took my son to an Atlanta Braves game. I haven't been to a Braves game in several, several years, never at the new stadium. And so we went on Memorial Day, actually, we went and um, it was an incredible day. We had so much fun. But as we were at the game, uh, the players were playing, and someone came up to bat, and I saw something that I have read about i 've seen photos of, but i 've never actually seen it happen in a game it 's something that they called the Ted Williams shift, okay now. If you're not familiar with Ted Williams, he was—he's arguably the greatest baseball hitter of all times. Okay, uh, in the '40s, um, he uh, broke 400 with his batting average. I mean, he was—true—that's really good. If you didn't know, okay, he's truly incredible, and he was incredibly confident. His autobiographers—they would say that he would—he would go into the locker room before every game. He would strip down to his underwear. Right? That's confidence right there. Right? He stripped down to his underwear. He'd grab a cigar, grab a bat, and he'd stand in front of a mirror, and he'd just take some practice swings, and he would say, I'm the greatest hitter of all times. I'm the greatest hitter of all times. He was not a humble man, okay? But he also wasn't wrong. He was one of the greatest hitters of all time, and he would just destroy the defenses of of other teams. And so in the 40s, um, his team was playing a doubleheader against the Cleveland Indians, Ted Williams ate them alive, like just, he, he hit, he was such an incredible hitter, and the Indians lost the game, so in between the doubleheader, the second baseman, which also was the manager of the Indians, he brought his infielders together, and he said, listen, I need to, we need to devise a strategy in order to offset Ted Williams' effectiveness against us, and so they devised this plan that is now called the, the Ted Williams Shift, okay, that's what it's you know, originally known as. And so basically what they did is when Ted Williams got up to bat, he was a left-handed batter, which means that usually when he hit well, almost, you know, 98% of the time, every ball would go to the right side of the field in between first and second base. This is where it would go. And so the defense said every time that Williams gets up to bat, this is what we're going to do. We're going to shift everyone on the field to the right. The third baseman's not really going to play third base. The third baseman is going to play second base. The shortstop is going to be where second baseman should be. and The second baseman is going to be an outfield with the right fielder. And the first baseman going to be right there. They're going to be all jammed together. So no matter where this dude hits the ball, we're going to be able to field it. It was called the Ted Williams shift. And you know what? It was effective. It worked. It worked. And some statistics say that it shaved when people would, would do this against him. Some statistics say that it would shave up to 15 points off his batting average. Now, listen to me say this. I do not suppose that we are an enemy against our culture. We are not an enemy against the people of our culture. But we are an enemy of the ideologies of our culture. The demonic mindsets of our culture, the worldly, ungodly philosophies, the anti-Christian approaches, those are our enemy. And we, like the Indians, if we do not choose to make certain strategic shifts, our enemy will continue to eat our young ones alive. And so we've got to make sure as the culture changes, the way that we lead must change as well. And listen to me, I'm a big proponent, just like with David. I think that we need to do everything that we can to set our children up for success in the physical. I think we need to sit with our kids and teach them what the Bible says. Not what we want the Bible to say or what we think the Bible says. We need to teach them what the Bible says. How to have a biblical worldview. I think that we need to have difficult conversations with our children. We need to do everything that we can in the physical to set our babies up for success. But let me tell you this, in the end, in the end, the most effective shift that we are going to make as influencers over our children is a shift in how we pray. Now, I'm not even proposing that the way that we pray needs to be some radical, you know, life-altering shift. I'm not even suggesting that. All I'm saying is that it needs to be a very specific shift. And it needs to be a strategic shift based on the culture that they are engaging every day of their lives. Because I'm going to tell you this. It doesn't matter, doesn't matter how much we do to physically prepare them. If we don't spiritually prepare them through prayer, it may not end well. Because I know this to be true. I know this to be true. As much as parents are responsible and grandparents and spiritual leaders are responsible to impart certain things to their children. I know this. I know this. I know this to be true. That there are some things that only the spirit of God can do inside of our children. And those things may not happen if we do not pray appropriately. You say, well, Corey, you're over-spiritualizing it. Maybe I am. But for the sake of our babies, I would rather over-spiritualize it than under-spiritualize it. Because what we're fighting against, as Paul would say, is not flesh and blood. (laughs) Listen to me. We're not fighting people. The church needs to make a shift in the mindset, we are not fighting people. Whether you loved who the president was 10 months ago or you love who the president is today, they are not your enemy. They are not your enemy. They are flesh and blood. Paul said, we don't war against flesh and blood. Spirits in dark places, principalities, and we must pull those things down to the effectiveness Of Christ and his kingdom and so today all I want to do for a few minutes and I do want you to leave encouraged I really I I really want your soul to leave encouraged for the next few minutes all I want to do is I want to share with you some ways that I have strategically shifted how I pray for my children okay and let me, let me make some disclaimers. The, I know this, I, I know this, and I, I need everybody to understand this. Nobody expects the way that I pray to be the way that you pray. Every family is different. Every context is different. Every child is different. Every season that our children are going through are different. The way that I pray for my one-year-old Aubrey is very different than the way that I pray for my 20-year-old Autumn, okay? It's just different. Aubrey doesn't have a boyfriend, Okay, so I don't need to pray specifically in certain aspects that I do need to pray for my 20-year-old who has a boyfriend, right? So even the seasons that our children are in, but all I'm saying is that we must be mindful to strategically pray appropriately. And you may be here and you say, well, I don't have kids that live under my roof. Uh, That's okay. You may have older kids that still need prayer. Or you may have grandbabies that still need prayer. Or again, you may know a family, And their children need prayer because I'm going to tell you this. Based on how the church prays will determine how our children move into the future and what culture looks like in 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And some of us say, well, I'm not going to be here in 50 years. That's pretty short-sighted. David was on his deathbed giving instructions to a new generation. And why? Because he was farsighted. Because he said, Father, my life is not my own. My life, my legacy is through the heir of my children. And what they become will be a legacy unto me. And so what I want to do is I just want to talk to you about six different general like arenas that I pray for my children, and within each arena, I'll give you a few examples of how I pray. And my only desire in all this is that the Spirit of the Lord may touch your heart to trigger you to pray for your children in a very specific way that's helpful in their immediate context. Does that make sense? Are you guys with me? Okay. So number one, obviously, I pray for my children spiritually. Spiritually. I'm asking God to save their souls first and foremost because I know this much to be true my children can be incredible athletes and they can have success academically they can make all the money in the world and they can have a good marriage but if their soul isn't saved ultimately none of that is really going to matter and so What I am doing is praying for the souls of my children. I'm saying, Father, will you cause a moment for the, for the fullness of time to erupt where their hearts are ready to receive the gospel and to understand? And that means that I've got to be prepared to share the gospel with my children and have difficult conversations with my children and to correct my children and to bring them along. But I've got to pray for the souls of my children because it's only the Spirit of God that woos them into a moment where they are ready to receive regeneration through the Spirit. There are some of us that, that have wayward children who at one time have walked with the Lord and now, you know, they're, they're no longer walking with the Lord. The main thing I want to say to you today is please don't ever give up hope and don't stop praying for your babies. I don't care how old they are. I don't care how bad it is. Please don't ever stop praying for your babies. A couple of years ago, I was talking with a family, and they were uh, going through a really difficult time with with a child. And um, I remember just uh, committing to agree with them in prayer that this child will turn, this child will turn, this child will turn. And we prayed and prayed and prayed. And I remember one day, it was just up and down, like discouragement would come in waves and all this kind of stuff. And I remember one day I was praying um, for their child. And again, I know this is purely subjective. You don't have to believe this part of anything else I say, but just go with me for a moment. As I was in prayer, I felt like the Lord gave me a vision as I was praying for this particular child. And in the vision, I saw just a small plot of, of dirt and it was brown, dark brown, it was hardened. You could see the cracks, it was a thirsty soil. You could tell it was like drought ridden soil. And then all of a sudden I, I started to see little sprinkle drops that would fall from the sky. And then those sprinkles became big raindrops. And then the rain increased and it increased and increased until the point where the soil was no longer dry and barren. The soil, was now pliable. And the soil was now ready to receive the seed. And I felt like the Lord spoke to me in that moment and said that there are so many children that are away from the Lord and their hearts have grown hardened through a series of whatever. But it's the prayers of the saints that come and they beat down on that hardened soil and they make that soil soft and pliable and prepared for the word of the Lord to come to fruition. And I believe that to be true for all of our babies. So I'm praying for the souls of my children. I'm asking God to give them a genuine love for him and his word. I'm asking God to fill them with the Holy Spirit that in this day they may have ears to hear and eyes to see what the spirit of God is doing in their day. I'm asking the Lord to anoint them to fulfill the purposes of God in their generation salvation in my mind for my children, salvation is the baseline. Like in my mind, that is the least I want to get out of this life. I want the salvation of my children. But I'll tell you the way that I'm praying is is for the salvation of my children, but I'm believing and I'm praying beyond the salvation of my children because I don't want them to just kind of squeak by and whoop escape the flames of hell. I want them to advance the kingdom of God on this earth. And so I need them to tap into the anointing of the Spirit and to hear what the Spirit of God is calling them to do as their purpose in their lives. I'm telling you, I'm praying more and more and more. I'm asking God for my children to be pure in heart. And I'm asking God to make them righteous men and women. I pray this prayer so often over my children because I've seen the destruction that sexual perversion brings on people's lives, marriages, all this kind of thing. I pray more often than not, I pray, Father, will you cause my children to be repulsed by all forms of perversion that they encounter. Cause their souls to just be repulsed by all forms of perversion. Listen to me say this, this is the greatest form of intercession that we can do for our children, spiritually. It is the highest level of intercession because it doesn't matter the rest of these things beyond their salvation. It is the highest form of what we can do. It's, it's the epitome of what intercession is. I was reading last year, um, one of the saints, her name was um, uh, Julian of Norwich, and somebody asked her, they said, hey, uh, define for us, what, how do you see intercession? Define intercession for us. And she said, it's when I stand in the middle and I look at God, And then I look at you, and I look back at God. I look at God, I look at your situation, and I look back at God. You see this in the life of Abraham. As the men, the, the angelic hosts come and they visit Abraham and Sarah, and they tell Abraham, they say, we are on our way to Sodom to bring the judgment of God to rain down on Sodom. And we see Abraham stands between Sodom and between the living God. And he says, God, would you please just spare Sodom? God, if you can find 50. God, if you can find 10, would you please just spare these people? A few hundred years later, we see uh, uh, Moses and Aaron. They're, they're in the wilderness with these millions of Israelites. And some of the, the leading councilmen, they stand up, led by Korah, and they go and they start making rebellion against uh, Moses and Aaron, and even against the Lord. The Bible says God was so furious, he sends a plague out, and it begins to destroy thousands and thousands of people. Aaron rushes between, the Bible says he stood between the living and the dead. And he pleaded with the Lord, Lord, please be merciful. God, please don't destroy us all, even if we deserve it. Father, please, in all of your goodness, please spare us in this moment. The ministry of intercession is so vital that Jesus Christ himself, the risen Lord, stands at the right hand of the Father ever to make intercession for the salvation of those who will come to him. Jesus is literally standing for the Father and saying, Father, please save them. God, please be merciful. Father, please send your spirit to woo them to an understanding of salvation. I'm going to tell you, when we pray for our children, when we look to God and we say, Father, you know what she's going through. God, please be merciful. Lord, you see that which is going on. Please, God, in all your goodness, do your deep work. Intercession for the salvation of our children is the highest level, so... We must make sure that we cover our children spiritually. Number two, we've got to make sure that we cover our children relationally. I am asking God to make my children good friends and good spouses and good leaders. Now, I'm praying for my children's spouses to be good people, but I want my children to be good spouses. I want to make sure that I'm raising children that, um, that, that give more than they take relationally. I want to make sure that they live in a place of honor for those that they are surrounded with. I'm asking God to rip out wrong relationships in the lives of my children. A few years ago, my, uh, uh, one of my children was uh, in, a, in a friendship, a relationship with, with somebody, and there was nothing really wrong You know, uh, there was nothing really wrong, but my discernment meter was just kind of ticking. You know, and I was like, I can't really put my finger on it. I can't, there's nothing wrong here, but but my discernment meter was just ticking every time. And I remember as the relationship carried on and the friendship grew stronger, I realized that this could be a friendship that may be a long-term friendship and have a lasting impact on my child's life. And so I went to my wife, Joy, and I said, baby, let me, let me tell you what. Because we were both concerned with friendship. I said, let me tell you how I'm going to start praying. I'm going to start praying that God in his mercy would rip this relationship, this person, out of this relationship unless this relationship is of God. And if it's of the Lord, we support him, we want to bless it. we want to do whatever. But if this is not of the Lord, Father, I want you to rip this relationship away from my child. And I'm going to tell you it only took about 3 weeks of praying like that before the Lord ripped this relationship apart. And I'm going to tell you I got to be dead honest with you. When you pray prayers like that, you're not always prepared for the outcome of answered prayer. And and I got to be honest with you, I wasn't prepared for for the the emotional damage that was done to my child because i had prayed that way now i'll tell you a thousand times over i pray that way again because i'd far rather the short term hurt than the long term hurt but i'm going to tell you i had to prepare myself in the future as i begin to pray in ways like that but i'm telling you i'm asking god to rip out wrong relationships for my kids lives i'm asking god to implant right relationships in their lives spouses and friends and teachers and hey let me just and let me just say this, there is, there is a vast difference between a teacher that is a Christian teacher and a Christian that is a godly teacher. There's a vast difference between Christian friends and godly friends. A Christian can go to heaven and not be godly. I want my children surrounded with godly people, and I want my child to be a godly person that can surround other people's children with. I'm asking God to never allow their enemies to prosper. David prays this for Solomon now. David's talking about some pretty violent stuff that most of our kids don't have to suffer through, but I'll tell you the way that I'm praying against my children's enemies. I'm praying that rumors will never be their portion or lot in life. I'm praying that God will never let bullying take hold in their life. I'm praying for the psychological effect of social media and different things like that. Those are the enemies that I'm praying against for my children. I'm asking God to give them a heart for people who are marginalized. I'm asking God to, to I take very seriously Proverbs 31, which is a command that we are to speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves. And I want my children to be people like that. And so I'm asking God to give favor relationally on every level. Number three, I'm asking God to cover them emotionally. I'm asking God to make my children emotionally whole. And stable. You realize that last year you went through your first pandemic. Hopefully the last, but definitely your first pandemic. And for many, many adults, it was a traumatic year, it was a shaking year, okay? But let me just remind us, you know who else just went through their first pandemic? The 11-year-olds and the 6-year-olds. And listen to me, I know that, that it has been difficult on everybody. I understand that. And I just want to take a moment to encourage every parent that has struggled through this emotionally to seek out the godly help that you need so that you can in turn help your children process through this if you need. I'm telling you, when you read the statistics about children, there's a, there's a lot of discouraging stuff about depression and anxiety and isolation and suicide and all these different kind of things. And, and listen to me say this, I'm not saying that we need to feed false trauma. I do not believe that at all, okay? Have, you, you've, if you've got kids, you know, how kids are sometimes. I, I remember one time one of my young daughters, she was probably three at the time, and she had scraped her knee on, on a doorway. And when she had scraped her knee, she immediately fell. And she said, she said, oh, my knee. And she literally dragged herself everywhere, all over for the rest of the, for the, rest of the day. And I said, baby, get up and walk. And she said, I can't. I scraped my knee. You've got kids that will absolutely milk anything, and I'm not condoning that by any stretch of the imagination, okay? But let me tell you this. There are also times when my kids bump their knee, and they hurt it bad enough, but they don't want to stop playing to be taken care of. And as a parent, that's my job to step in and say, no, you need to stop playing. Let's deal with this. And so all I'm saying is this, is that as a parent, we have to discern what is real and what's not real, but we have to play a role in helping our kids get through all the stuff that they've been through in the last year. Let me just throw this little uh, tidbit out there. Uh, Gallup did a a poll at the end of last year, and it was talking about mental health of people from so many, I mean, it was thousands and thousands of people, and there were like seven different uh, uh, demographics. It was age and gender and race and income level and all this kind of stuff. But can I tell you the only people that came out categorically that came out with a positive number as far as their mental health goes is people who were able and found a way to attend church services throughout the last year. The only category of people to come on the positive side. I'm not saying church is the end all. I'm saying we all got issues. You know what I'm saying? I've got issues and I'm at church literally every time the doors are open. But I'm just saying this, is that we have to be attentive to our children's emotional well-being, and we can't always just assume that they're milking something or being overdramatic about it. And we need to get ourselves and them the help that they require. Listen to me. For years, there has been a stigma against Christian counseling, against Christian therapy, and all this kind of stuff. Listen to me say that. I I think that is one of the worst stigmas, especially living in a day like today. You realize throughout all of Christian scripture, throughout all of Christian scripture, you realize that the men and women of God, especially in high places of authority, they all had counselors. They all had people who would scribe out their thoughts for them. They all had people that they could bounce things off of and they could pour wisdom back into their lives. It's not a weakness. Sometimes it's wisdom. I've got to be able to discern the difference. So I want to make sure that my children are emotionally whole. Number four, I want to make sure that my children are mentally well. I am asking my God to give my children a biblical world view. You realize that out of the 70 million children and teenagers, 4% have what we would consider a biblical worldview. And when I say biblical worldview, this is what I mean. I, I want my children, as they, um, as they look at marriage, I want them to say, what should a marriage look like through the lens of Scripture? I want my children to look at their work ethic and say, what should a good work ethic look like? I want my children to look at salvation and good works and say, what does salvation truly look like? When they think about Jesus, I want them to say, not what all my friends, I wanna know what does scripture say about Jesus? This is possessing a biblical worldview where all that we think and do go through the filter of the scriptures. Listen to me, there are humanistic Lies that must be exposed. And I'm telling you, listen to me. There are incredibly intelligent people that can outthink and outtalk me and you, much less our children. There's got to be something in the spirit that clicks with them. There's got to be a regeneration in the soul that clicks with them. And it comes through prayer. I believe we got to teach our kids the Bible. Listen to what Paul says. He says, listen, when we have taught the Bible, we won't be tossed and blown about by every new wind of, of teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. You hear what I'm saying? So, so we've got to make sure that we teach, but I'm asking God to do a deep work in our children for biblical worldview. And I'm asking God to give them the ability to discern right from wrong. Just because something sounds right does not mean that it is right. I was talking to a pastor a couple weeks ago. A, a pastor called and um, just asking him for some counsel. They were they're trying to hire somebody, and they, they were asking, what do you think about this, this, and this? And, and uh, as the conversation developed, I, I just told him, I said, you can't afford, in the day that we live, you can't afford to hire someone that does not think. You can't afford to hire someone that is just really good behind a guitar, and they got good good pipes. You can't afford to just hire somebody because they know how to draw a crowd. You've got to have the ability to hire someone who thinks at a high level and can defend the Christian faith and be, be mentally sound. Number five, I pray for my children physically. I'm asking God to protect them from disease, from accidents, from, from incidents, whatever. I'm asking God to give them long lives And I'm asking God to give them full lives as I pray for them spiritually. And finally, I pray for my children directionally. I'm asking God to give them a purposeful calling. Listen to me, not a career. I'm asking God to give them a calling. Now now listen to me, any career can be a calling. But I want God's purposes established in that calling. I'm asking God to give my children favor and influence. I'm asking God to give them heaven's wisdom. I'm asking God to give them prosperity. Not at the expense of their souls, but the Lord knows what they can handle. And I'm asking God to bless them with all that they can handle. And I'm asking God to give them a legacy. I'm asking God to give it. Listen, I got a, I got a one-year-old child. I'm asking the Lord, Father, give her a legacy. You know Why? Because her legacy is my legacy. Whatever she becomes is attached to me. I know that sounds mighty selfish, but i got to be honest, I'm in it for that. I remember one time Andy Stanley made an incredible statement that I just can't dig out of my soul. And he said this, he said, your greatest as a parent, as a grandparent, as a spiritual leader... Your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be something you do, but someone you raise. And so listen to me. I'm blessing my babies through prayer. I'm blessing them every every chance that I get. You realize that inside every child is the craving for the blessing and the prayers of their parents. It was such, it was so profound inside of Jacob that he deceived his own father to receive the blessing. So I don't want my kids to go a day without them verbally hearing me. You can ask my children, I verbally bless them. I kiss, I say bless you. Easton leaves, he gets out of the truck every day to go to school. I said, bless you, buddy. The Lord loved, I love you so much. The Lord bless you. This morning I'm leaving. I, I bless my little Aubrey who's still asleep. The Lord bless her. Bless her. Bless her, because every child needs the blessing of their parents. And so today, I want to, uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap things up. I know our worship team's coming and everything like that, but the essence of everything I wanted to say today can be narrowed down to this. We need to do everything in our power to set our children up for success in the physical realm. But we need to equally match that by setting them up for success in the spirit realm. Now here's the troubling part about it all, is that none of us know how this is gonna end. You know what I'm saying? Like, I have five children, five children. Living in the culture that I live in, statistically speaking, it's probably not gonna end well for one of them, okay? So do you know what that means for me? That means I'm gonna go to the Lord in prayer even more. Because I refuse to live under something like that. But let me tell you what. None of us know how it's all going to end. We've all seen families that have raised all their children the same way. And so many of them are serving the Lord and then one or two are, are not. And it's just, it's, it's inexplicable. We, we can't even explain it. Let me tell you, for Solomon, from what we can gather, it didn't end well for Solomon. It seems that all of David's prayers for Solomon's success were answered in Solomon's life. But when Solomon gets to the end of his life, it's debatable whether or not he was even saved. Because he had let his heart astray through idols of his concubines. And so all I'm saying is that we can do all that we know to do, but we still have to understand that human responsibility still remains. Our children still have to make choices. But as their spiritual leaders, may we take a cue from the prophet Samuel who said, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for my people. Because I know this much is true. I know that when we pray, heaven hears. And I know when we pray, heaven acts. And I know that when we pray, hell trembles. And when we pray, the spirit of God moves. And when we pray, consciences are stirred. And when we pray, memories of the goodness of God flood the lives of our children and the minds of our children. When we pray, God is at work doing something far beyond what we can do by the hands of the flesh. So even though I don't know how this is all going to turn out, for my family or for my babies, I'm going to pray with faith. I'm going to pray with fervency. They're going, to feel, they're going to feel my prayers over their lives because I believe that there are things that God will do when we pray. So I just want to encourage you. Man, this felt heavy today, didn't it? I'm so sorry. I want to come in and say, you're blessed. You're wealthy. You're healthy. Yes, Lord. Hey, when you're dealing with God's word, you've got to take the good with the bad. But let me just say this, please, whatever you do, for the sake of your grandbabies, for the sake of your babies, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Augustine, who is notoriously a wayward youth, some, some, I would not go this far, but some even classify him as borderline a sex addict. I mean, he was just a wild, a wild man. He was known for for making this statement in his wildness. He would say, God, grant me chastity, but not yet because he wanted to embrace the flesh. He had a mama named Monica. She would later become a saint in the Catholic Church. And this woman, for 17 years, 17 years, she prayed and she wept over his sinfulness. She fasted, she sought the Lord, she chased this boy down for 17 years before ultimately he came to faith in Christ. And do you know what he would say when people say, how, how in the world did you lead that life to come to be such a man? By the way, a man that would change the world as we know it. We, we worship and we understand scripture and theology the way that we do in large part based on this man's life. And you know what he would say? He'd say, I had a praying mama. He said, I had a mama that was fervent. She was stubborn. That's what I want my kids to say about me. When they're old, when they're telling their grandkids about me, I want them to say, golly, he was stubborn, but he was stubborn in all the right ways. This woman was so stubborn for her child that he would literally become a man who would give his life to Christ and he would literally change the world. We said so much through this pandemic, from this pulpit, we've, we've tried to remind each other that in God's sovereignty, we have been called to live in such a time as this. And we have. In, in all of human history, God could have selected you to live in the 1340s or he could have selected you to live in the, the 20 BCs, but he chose you to live for such a time as this. But can I just encourage you and say this? He's not only called you to live for such a time as this, he's called you to parent for such a time as this. And he's called you specifically to grandparent for such a time as this. And he's called you to lead spiritually for such a time as this. Because we are reminded, as pastor often reminds us, that some things happen when we pray for our kids that may not happen for our kids if we do not pray. And so our shift and our approach must change so that we can ensure the greatest future and vision for our kids, amen? Amen, amen. will you stand with me today? I wanna to ask, first of all, for those of us joining online, there is a phone number that's gonna pop up on your screen. And if you need prayer for anything, please call that number and we have some incredible, faithful people who will pray for you. Uh, We're gonna ask you today in the sanctuary if you have any need, you need prayer for healing, if you uh, you want to accept Christ as your savior, you know, maybe you're one of the wayward children I was talking about, you wanna accept Christ and make things right, please come. We are gonna have our prayer partners, they're gonna be up here, over here. We're gonna have uh, some prayer partners in, in the hallway. If you feel a little too congested, you can meet out there, we'll have some up here. And we want you to come, come for prayer. But here for these next few moments, Ryan and his team are gonna uh, lead us in a time of worship. I want us to just take a moment, and I know we're running a little bit late, and so if you gotta go, we understand. But I want us to take a couple of minutes and I just want to ask the Lord to highlight for us, Father, for my children or my grandchildren or you know, my, my friends' children, whomever, the kids in my neighborhood, whatever. Father, will you highlight people for me and show me how to pray? Lord, will you just show me how to pray for them? Lord, show me how to pray. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, our perfect Father, our heavenly Father, And God, we're so grateful for the blessing that our children are, all that they mean to us, all that they mean to this church family and to the world. And my prayer today, God, is that you would do everything as Pastor Mike has already prayed for these graduates, but you would do it for all of our children, that they would come to know Jesus and not just know him, but fervently live with a passion, an undying passion for the renown of Jesus, the risen Lord. I pray that you will make them emotionally whole. I pray that you will help them to stabilize mentally and have good minds and biblical worldviews, that your protective hand would be on their coming and going, that you would cover them as they go out and fulfill their destinies in this life. Father, that everything that they become will be so much more than what we have attained in this Christian life. They are a legacy for us as individuals and a legacy for this house. And I pray your blessing over them in the name of Jesus.